Welcome back to Because of Bitcoin. It's been a wild few weeks in the markets, and I wanted to call out that this interview was recorded before the recent market events around FTX. Words cannot express how deeply we feel for everyone impacted by the FTX and Alameda fraud. While unfortunate, what unfolded has highlighted the importance of strong and transparent business practices that prioritize the safety of client assets above all else. And at Ledin, that is at the core of what we do. We built our business around a singular belief. Our clients and their assets come first in everything that we do. This fundamental value has served us well throughout this downturn, and we remain committed to it. Ledin is in a very privileged position to lead and define this industry moving forward. And we thank you for your continued patience and trust. And now, onwards with today's story. We see Bitcoin disrupting in especially a monetary revolution. We see three convergent revolutions. Bitcoin is the core and in terms of public blockchains. Bitcoin is a core revolution in terms of the monetary side, having a new money that transcends borders uh, under uh, uh, the same uh, shelling point to perform and transactions over space and hold value over time. You're listening to Because of Bitcoin, a podcast that shares the personal stories of how Bitcoin is having a real impact in people's lives, including mine. I'm your host, Mauricio Di Bartolomeo, the co-founder and CSO of Ledin. And without further ado, let's get started with today's story. There's a funny thing about the way mainstream media covers Bitcoin. They are fixated on price. They get super excited when the market is rising, like in the bull runs of 2017 and 2021, and they panic during dips like the bear markets of 2018 and the one we're living through today. Now, why the price fluctuates is not an easy question to answer. But when financial institutions make it a priority to dedicate time and research to Bitcoin, it means they take the asset class seriously. Since 2017, David Poole has used Bitcoin blockchain data to analyze price fluctuations and market sentiment. And he's a pioneer on on-chain analysis, an emerging field that analysts use to value Bitcoin. David created a dozen metrics that are now used industry-wide, and many are featured in the major data platforms such as Glassnode, Coinmetrics, and CryptoCoin. In January 2022, David joined the asset management firm ARK Invest. The firm released the Big Ideas report in that same month, and it included a very bold prediction. By 2030, ARK predicts that the price of a single Bitcoin will be north of a million dollars. David joined me to share how he became an on-chain analyst, and we talked through some of the current market trends that have his attention. But most importantly, David explains Bitcoin's part in a monetary evolution that will be crucial to emerging markets. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, I like to start the show so, uh, by asking people, could you tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like? Pretty regular Mexican middle-class upbringing. I was raised in a very, let's say, libertarian way in the sense that I was left to my own devices to figure out life and school and all that stuff, which, you know, pretty much taking in responsibility, but also for, for gains and losses of your life, that, that was very helpful to me long-term, now that I look at it in hindsight. A lot of obsessions and different topics, which still goes on up to this day. Uh, different arts, sciences. Um, I was very curious uh, as a child. Wasn't that into finance because I was a child, basically. 
You are in finance today. How was that journey into finance? Was there a moment that made you become curious about finance? Initially, I was more interested in economics, which is, let's say, a broader, more macroscope of finance itself. In essence, they study the same thing, but with, with very different angles. So I was interested in that since I was an adolescent, specifically in finance and, and actually delving into metrics as returns and kagers and all that stuff. I was more like in parallel with Bitcoin, right? I came to Bitcoin from uh, from an economic perspective, but when I started obsessing over it, its financial aspect was also very interesting to me. CAGR stands for Compound Annual Growth Rate, C-A-G-R. It's the average or mean annual growth rate of an investment over a specific period of time longer than one year. When did Bitcoin come into your radar? My guess it's like sometime in 2012, let's say. But at that time, it was mostly, you know, ma magic internet money. It will never work. That was the consensus I kept listening to. And at the time, and I, I, I agree with that to my own current lament. But, you know, it, it's, it, it's what happens. And then I revisited over the years. But I guess you could say the full on rabbit hole and the actual obsession uh, it, it, it was until 2017 when I pretty much quit everything. I was like taking a year off, uh, you know, volunteering, uh, giving English lessons in a, a rural area around Mexico at the time. So I started like delving into that, became obsessed and pretty much was like, yeah, I, I, I need to, to do this full time. I began doing that in 2017, say Q2 2017, haven't stopped since then. Do you remember who or how did you find out about Bitcoin? The second time I revisited, I think it was one uh, Lawrence Southern video when, when she was talking about Bitcoin. It kind of like popped up again and like, okay, I have to revisit this. And then a friend of mine was very into it in uh, early 2017. So he like pulled me back in. And do you recall that second time around when you went back into Bitcoin? What was the public perception uh, around at that time? Like how, did the, how had it changed from magic internet money? And how did your view differ from, you know, perhaps the public perception at the time? Perhaps the, the, the initial phases of me hearing about it, let's say... 2011 to 13, my interest was in other things really apart from even economics. So let's say literature, the arts, even mixed martial arts. I initially come from a literature background, actually, coming from an economical perspective, more um, political science perspective. When I heard about money that does not rely on a central bank, fixed supply was very interesting to me and that it actually works and it has a robust, cryptographically proven shelling point where adversaries become cooperators. That was extremely interesting to me. So that's when it all started. The Bitcoin blockchain is a public ledger that has a record of every single Bitcoin transaction. Because of this, the transaction data is available on-chain for everyone to see at any time. It would be like having a record of every single person who was passed along the same dollar bill throughout its entire lifetime. This transaction data set is what David and others used to pioneer on-chain analysis. So on-chain analysis is an emergent uh, field. Try to evaluate 
Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in a fundamentals-based uh, perspective. In doing so, we extracting data from the blockchain, meaning transactions, time of uh, holding per address, let's say, transaction volume, uh, active addresses, et cetera, et cetera, to get a, a fundamental se sense of if Bitcoin at any given time is over or under value. I, I would classify it as a fundamental field of understanding Bitcoin valuation, yet it can divulge into subsets of technical analysis if you are devising strategies and things like that. How did you decide to start doing on-chain analysis for Bitcoin? Inspiration was point blank out of Willy Wu. He's the godfather of the field. I think it was 20, late 2016 or 2017 when he came out with MVG ratio, which is the first on-chain metric. It became more popular starting 2017 after, you know, a huge bubble, the, the ICO bubble and, and you know, the, the bull run during 2016 and 17. So after that, price was wearing down. Full bear market in 2018 gave a lot of time to actually make sense of the market and try to find new angles on the market. David has created over a dozen on-chain metrics that are used industry-wide by analysts. The goal of these metrics is to assess whether Bitcoin is over or undervalued. Two of the most famous ones, I guess, are MVRB, meaning market value to realized value, which is a ratio of market capitalization and realized capitalization. Realized capitalization is the market mean, to some extent, the cost basis of the market. The way we calculate it, it was created by Antoine Le Calvé and Nick Carter. The other famous metric is uh, the poll multiple. The name is just, it's kind of a meme. Uh, I, I did on a Friday night playing around with Excel. I was trying to get a sense of compression in, in, in the mining industry. I have to say the name, it's a meme because it follows the Mayer multiple, which is one uh, up to that day was a very famous metric in, in Bitcoin as well. So it's a uh, credit to, to Trace Mayer for that. There's a very simple reason why the pool multiple has remained relevant within the analyst community. And that is because historically, when the pool multiple has been very low, it has been beneficial to buy Bitcoin. And conversely, when the pool multiple has been very high, it has been historically advantageous to sell Bitcoin to take profits. And is it fair to say that people or investors look at some of these multiples and basically get a sense for, to your point, the fair value of Bitcoin, uh, to get an idea of where they could assess the fair value of Bitcoin being relative to the market and then therefore finding opportunities. The metrics for the most part are very long-term cyclical metrics as opposed to just day trading, stuff like that. So you talk about these multiples being long-term and them operating on market cycles and You've been through now a few cycles of Bitcoin, like the 2017 run-up and now the current market structure we're seeing today. Do you see any similarities with that 2017 market to today's or do you see any new trends developing? If you're comparing, let's say, the full bull and bear cycle, 2016, 17, then the top and the bear in 2018, right now we would be more in you know, 2018 full full bear market, 74% correction. It usually gets to 80 historically or cyclically. Several changes. Bitcoin is now the the without question the premier proof of work uh, monetary system compared 
So in terms of hatching a value proposition, it's very differentiated now from the rest of cryptocurrencies. I see major trends in energy related to Bitcoin, which is very important. You have an increasing amount of public companies fully devoted to Bitcoin mining, some of them going under right now. We also see other trends into major energy participants. Instead of emerging new Bitcoin miners fully devoted to that business model, we see more other major energy participants divesting into Bitcoin mining to, to make their profits even more robust and to offset, off, offset their methane emissions and therefore improve their ESG scores, et cetera, et cetera, right? So uh, game theoretically, it, it makes more sense uh, for Bitcoin mining to mine it, go into that side than brand new enterprises. Uh, in general, I, I, I would expect bigger and, and older miners to, to survive for the long term, especially in the US. And of course, after COVID, insti institutionalization, right? Price discovery was taken over by uh, major financial institutions, especially in the US. Therefore, correlations between equities and risk on assets uh, and Bitcoin ha have been, you know, increasing and since then. So what do you think is the source of Bitcoin's price volatility? And do you think the price will evolve over time to become more stable? Uh, in my opinion, yes, meaning volatility will diminish and liquidity, liquidity will rise. So when you have that divergence, you would get more price stability over time. And we're already seeing that. I mean, most of the metrics you see today have to be volatility adjusted in the sense that over the, lo the, the longer terms, so if you take the history from 2010, the beginning of Bitcoin price, you see uh, cycles having less and less volatility proportional to the last. So that's already happening. It's pretty much confirmed. And I would expect, expect that trend to continue. American institutions have a disproportionate impact on Bitcoin price relative to the absolute number of users and the people that use Bitcoin in other parts of the world. And I think that's because of their sheer relative wealth. Many people view Bitcoin as an asset that is to be invested in or traded so that they can generate more US dollars. This, I believe, is a different use case than other people in other parts of the world that use it as a tool to free themselves and eff effectively exit their broken monetary system. How do you see this interplay between these two groups? Or do you even th think of the groups as similar buckets? I think it, it applies to every market in the sense that in any given market, for the most part, you have very strong holders or let's say weak to strong holders, but holders for the most part and weak to strong speculators, but speculators for the most part. Uh, and, and I think uh, both of those cohorts play a very essential role in every market. Bitcoin is not, not an ex exception. So in terms of the holding behavior, that's where you get your floors, your price floors, you diminish the supply side and exhaust the sellers. You have the, the, your shorter term speculators, but even more important are the, let's say, the active managers of Bitcoin, which do exist and are more long-term focused, but they also like take profits uh, at near or at tops and rebalance at, at bottoms. And that's also very important in the market. Like it's not only about holders, but you need active managers to, um, over the long term, provide liquidity, especially at the bottoms, for the market to continue its cycle, right? Uh, especially when it gets severely exuberant, when it has happened, you know, late 2017, late 2021, etc. You need people 
very invested in, in even like long-term believers in the asset, taking profits so that they can reinvest at the bottoms and build the floors with the holders. Uh, their active managers are the liquidity, the, the most efficient liquidity mechanism any market can have. So we need every single role in the market and the investment to speculator spectrum. And I think Bitcoin is, uh, is no different in that sense from other assets in, in traditional finance. You know, the way I, um, I think about it at times is because the sheer size of the dollar amounts that U.S. institutions move around, they have such a disproportionate impact on determining price or price discovery relative to a person in, say, Colombia, Venezuela, that is using Bitcoin just to, you know, save fractions of and, and effectively exit their you know, the broken banking system. And so that's why, you know, despite many, you know, millions of users being in those parts of the world relative to America, one Michael Saylor transaction will amount for, you know, Colombia's entire volume for, for God knows how many days. And so that's why, you know, I, I see them as having such a big pool, but I, I do see it as also validating and reinforcing the space so that more infrastructure can be built to reach these people at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. And But also, I, I, I would guess that it depends on the stage of the market cycle. I spent a month and a half in Argentina a few months ago, and pretty much the, the greater demand came from USD, or even, you know, even in stablecoin fashion, right? What they want is, uh, is that stability, that capacity to save, even, even in the short term, some of them can unfold for, let's say, a, a five-year time horizon, but they still need to save or at least avoid any further inflation and devaluation on the currency, right? So USD is also keen uh, in, in that regard. And, you know, stable coins, that peg uh, is, is very important to a lot of people in countries like Venezuela and Argentina. You're absolutely right to bring up the point of stablecoins. And just by virtue of Bitcoin's volatility, many people that need it as an escape valve, having the option of buying a US dollar in crypto rails will probably find their, their needs served also by that crypto dollar if they just need to spend it quickly and know that they're going to have that same unit when, they, when they're on the other end. And I noticed that a lot of people, what they did was, you know, they mostly allocate to USD or uh, a stable coin in this case for their shorter shorter to midterm savings but they also allocated a, a much lesser amount to bitcoin and perhaps other crypto uh, on a more long term let's say a year and a, a year onward horizon right so you all, you start seeing a lot of uh, very you know from first principles intelligent portfolio allocation in terms of just having a base as as the USD Avoid getting your purchasing power uh, diluted away uh, by, by, by your own central bank and also having the upside of, of the Bitcoin volatility in, in the long term. So that's very interesting. I, I, I would agree with that because that's consistent with what we see on the platform. And it's, it's almost like people in that part of the world are using Bitcoin as their sort of equity equivalent or their sort of reserve equivalent in their portfolio, but they're working cash flow. Uh, they, they still prefer dollars, US dollar denomination, which allows them, by the way, to, es to escape pesos and bolivares, which is brilliant. Right. And that's the interesting part. It, it's like their actual equity curve. It becomes their actual investment asset as, because they don't have any, any, expo any access to you know, whatever stock in the US, right? It's extremely hard for them to just invest in anything that is not USD. 
in a very great market already, right? And that's it. Like, what are you supposed to invest in uh, if your currency is like falling under? It's just USD as a savings mechanism to prevent capital loss. And then if you want upside, it's just basically crypto. No, it, it's brilliant. And it's so funny because people were, were talking a lot about Bitcoin's correlation with the S&P 500 and talking about how that was terrible. And I actually turned around and was like, I don't really know if that's terrible for everyone around the world because a lot of people would kill to have S&P 500 exposure uh, because, and, and they otherwise can't. And so I actually think that makes Bitcoin very attractive in the right circumstances for some, for some investors. Yeah, especially in emerging markets, for sure. ARK Invest is an investment management firm based in St. Petersburg, Florida. Founded by Kathy Wood in 2014, the firm invests in disruptive technology and innovations. So you you joined ARK Invest in January, and I am a huge fan of what ARK does. Can you tell us a bit about how you got this opportunity and uh, maybe even talk a bit about what you do there if you can? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm known Yassine, who is the, um, uh, the head crypto analyst at ARK for years now. So we've been friends for a long time. Then he invited me to guest ride with them, with him specifically, but through the ARK umbrella uh, throughout 2021. So we did a three-part series on on-chain analysis that you can check in the website up to this date. Uh, it later became a you know, 30-page white paper, on, which is a, a manifesto of sorts of, on on-chain analysis, going through the basics to a little bit more complex stuff. During that period, I, I, I came to know Kathy and Brett, the chief futurist, but formerly director of research of ARC. They enjoyed my work and later on uh, invited me to join, um, which is, you know, it's been great. I'm, I'm, I feel blessed. How do you see Bitcoin interplaying with the larger monetary system in the future as we go past this, you know, current bear market and beyond? It's going to become a major player. Not, not only in terms of the uh, digital gold narrative or the inflation or debasement hedge narratives. I think one of, the, one of the main value propositions, you just mentioned it, um, emerging markets need the, uh, Bitcoin's value proposition to, to a great extent, both as an upside equity curve or, or access to an actual appreciating or a volatile asset because it, it, you need volatility in your portfolio to some extent. Remittances is another. Censorship resistance uh, is still the major one. Energy is also becoming an increasing trend, co converging trend uh, between uh, Bitcoin and that whole sector. In, in terms of price appreciation, I, I know you've heard the 2030 target of uh, around 1 million. And we got to that in, in terms of allocating the capital in terms of very small percentage amounts that other industries like gold, like remittances, like uh, central bank reserves, corporate treasuries, et cetera, et cetera. And then divest in that uh, hypothetically into uh, a Bitcoin market cap. We see Bitcoin disrupting in especially a monetary revolution. I mean, the ARG thesis in general or thesis is, we see three convergent revolutions Bitcoin is the core and in terms of public blockchains. Bitcoin is a core um, revolution in terms of the monetary side, having a new money that transcends borders uh, under uh, uh, the same uh, shelling point, 
perform and uh, transactions uh, over space and hold value over time. Uh, Bitcoin remains central in the monetary evolution. That's for sure. You mentioned a lot of trends earlier on in terms of what you were seeing in Bitcoin. Is there any particular future use case of Bitcoin or maybe a current one that you are excited about? Mainly as a, as a, as a long-term savings mechanism in emerging markets. I think that's the most interesting. And also as a vehicle, as a shift into um, the basement hedge from developed world financial institutions. So those converging factors, I think, make for a, a very interesting convergence. I, I agree with you entirely. And I think Bitcoin will do a lot of good for the emerging world. What is next for you professionally? At ARG, uh, we have great things coming up and you know new initiatives uh, into end of year and especially next year. So one of them, for instance, is the Bitcoin Monthly, which is a monthly publication after you know a few days of every monthly close where we you know give our general takes on, on the bitcoin market uh as a sort of earnings report but for bitcoin right you, you usually have that for companies but we wanted to make the equivalent of bitcoin uh given in its robustness in terms of the data you can extract from it so we go through macro aspects, sentiment, just general market sentiment, and of course, on-chain analysis. And when, when can our, where can our guests find this content and learn more from you and ARK Invest? Yeah, so website is arc-invest.com. You can find uh, our on-chain uh, white paper there and our the Bitcoin Monthly uh, publication. In that website, we have a, a crypto-dedicated portion in there. And also, you can find us on Twitter. For me, it's uh, dpwell, with double L, arc, on Twitter. That's my handle. And also, you can uh, look for Yasin, uh, head of crypto, and, and Frank Downing, also a very uh, brilliant uh, member of the crypto team. And, you know, he also covers WEF. He covers pretty much everything apart from genomics and Tesla in, in the company. But he's a... Um, a crucial component of the crypto team. So the three of us, Kathy and Brad as well. Yeah, I, I think those are the, the name drops I had to do. Brother, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure. A lot has changed since I started mining Bitcoin back in 2015. It was once considered magic internet money by financial analysts that were in David's shoes. But today, major financial institutions are becoming big players in the market. David's work at ARK Invest shows me that leading firms are making Bitcoin a key part of their investment strategy. They're dedicating time, resources, and money to the cause. There's a lot more to Bitcoin than just the price. If you just looked at price, you would fail to see some of the adoption metrics that are quite impressive. An example is the fact that today there are over 43 million addresses that are holding a balance. And that number has soared from 38 million a year ago today, and has continued to soar even during the current market turmoil. Bitcoin is giving people all over the world the freedom to perform transactions over space and to hold their value over time. David called Bitcoin a part of a disruptive monetary revolution, and I believe that that is exactly what we need. 
because the current monetary system is leaving way too many people behind. To learn more about the on-chain metrics that were mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes. And thank you so much, David, for joining me, and thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this Because of Bitcoin episode, I would be very grateful for the five seconds it would take you to drop us a review and give us a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. This will really help us reach even more listeners. And if you'd like to learn more about Bitcoin, be sure to check out our newsletter by subscribing at ledn.io. That's ledn.io. Again, this was Mauricio Di Bartolomeo. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, muchas gracias y los quiero mucho. Chao, chao.